back. Pulls up for three. Boom! Knocks it down. Curry from the corner at three. Puts it in. For overtime. Makes it. Garrett. Welcome from me, Mark Woods, to the latest edition of the MVP Cast, brought to you in association with Total Environmental Compliance. Check out their consultancy services for a whole range of environmental issues at tcompliance.co.uk. Now, our guest on this edition is a very talented young British player who's made a big impact on the court before injuries struck, but who's also made a very, very big impression off the court as well. Melita Emmanuel Cart, welcome to the MVP Cast. Hi, thank you for having me. How has, how has lockdown been for you? I, I imagine no basketball, no problem, or how has, how has it been? Um, at first it was a little bit tough because um, I've moved back to London, so um, I'm now staying with my parents. So seeing my parents every single day, it's, it's, <laughs> even though I love them and it's been nice to see my family, it's still a little bit um, odd for me. Um, however, I enjoy being at home. It's nice to kind of take a little break away from basketball, but it's still, it still touches my heart that I can't step onto a court and um, shoot about or play an actual game if I want to. So I cannot wait for sports in general to just be back. It is very strange. My next door neighbour has a basketball hoop outside and never have I been so jealous of one piece of equipment. Every time, every time I hear their ball bouncing, much as I love it when young people play the game, it slightly breaks my heart. Right, exactly. Everyone, if if you have a basketball hoop in your back garden, yeah, you're very lucky. And if you want one, don't expect to be able to buy one anytime soon because they're all sold out. Because believe me, right. I've tried. Um, let's let's we start on a lot of issues, but you had this incredibly impressive young initiative um, called Stop the Violence, which you held a game in, in London last summer and for those who hadn't heard of it or haven't heard of it explain what it was and what the thinking behind it was so i attended the university of illinois at chicago and um, during my time there you know gang violence is is very high there so i was exposed to a lot of things um unfortunately in my third year of attending the university one of my friends got shot and passed away so um, my teammate and I made the initiative to um, create a Stop the Violence awareness game. Um, so we had different performers. We, um, in, we invited parents and families of victims. And we just tried to basically say, you know, we're here. We understand what's going on and use basketball as an outlet for um, gang members to be a part of so that they can um, stay off of the street um, then I came home to London for um, a summer and noticed the rise in, in knife crime so I thought it would be a perfect opportunity to to bring that awareness to London and just try to help the community out I know that basketball is a popular sport in London however no one knows exactly where to play so my original idea was to to try to get the young people more involved in basketball so that they're not interested in participating in negative things on the street. So that's that's basically a little bit about it. I had um, a celebrity game, I had an elite game, and then I had different performance throughout the day. Um, all the money 
was raised and donated to um, a charity called the Red Thread, who helped to um, basically help victims from uh, knife crime and violence in the in the UK. From a personal standpoint, I mean, how important was it for you to to make some contribution on this side of the Atlantic? Because we can all sit back and we we look at America and we look at inner city crime, we look at the murder rate, and in a sense. We're, we're fortunate we're reasonably insulated from that that over here but not it's not completely all the same mean to societies in terms of knife crime etc i mean how how important was it for you in seeing what happened in the states to come over here and say hold on a minute there are things and issues i i can help address so one thing i do tell everyone is you don't want to live a lifestyle that's very negative we should like you said we should be grateful that london is not like chicago in the respect of the gang violence and with the awareness part i just think a lot of people don't do anything until something has happened to them unfortunately i did lose a friend so i am one of those people that waited for something to happen to me before i started doing something but um i always say to parents you know you don't want to lose your kids and I say to the kids, you don't want to lose a friend. It's not nice. So um, I just tried, I tried to bring that awareness into it to say, let's prevent it from happening rather than do something as a consequence, you know? So um, for me, it's just more about trying to get everyone involved, no matter who you are, the color of your skin, your age. It's just more about let's come together so I make a change, basically. Was it all the more poignant because your friend, as I understand it, was killed while walking home from playing basketball? I mean, it, does, does does in a sense, is there? Can you bring two causes together there? To is it is in a sense honouring your friend to try and do this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I always try to mention him throughout the day. Um, I put up his pictures still as well because. Um, Obviously, he's my friend. I do miss him. But um, also to show the younger generation, it's not nice to lose a friend. Um, it's something that I do not want anyone to go through. I have a 15-year-old nephew as well. So um, sometimes I have that little fear like, oh, he's outside. Where is he now? Let me call him to see if he's okay. And, you know, it's that should not be the case. It's, I should feel comfortable in knowing he's outside with his friends having fun, not um, something could potentially happen to him. I mean, we often trot out, or particularly the basketball authorities in this country, often trot out this phrase that basketball can, is in this unique position to make a social difference. And I think at times it's used so much that maybe it's lost some of the impact on it. But when you hold this event which is very specifically up there to use basketball as a tool for social good. Do you come out of that event last summer and thinking, yes, this is a route to effect positive change? Yes, 100%. I didn't think my event was going to succeed so well. So at the end of it, I thought I have to do this again, 100%. Um, so throughout the year, I've been working on connecting with different people, um, I did have some of the Metropolitan Police come down as well so that they could create a more friendly um, vibe with the community. 
Um, so yeah, I've been working on trying to get more engagement from um, the youth as well. So next next um, event, it was supposed to be in July, but obviously because of the coronavirus, I had to postpone it. Um, but yeah, my aim is just to get more and more people involved um, who don't necessarily play basketball. And I think that's what separates me from other other basketball events um, is that it includes a lot of basketball players. So it's always the same circle. So I'm trying to break that circle and include everyone possible, whether it's charities, whether it is the police, the youth, parents. So, um, yeah, I'm just trying to get everyone together. How important is it for you to, to have a follow-up from that? Because I mean, you've, you've talked about this personal passion to inspire people to be, and I'm quoting you, to be the best at whatever they want to be. I mean, in this country, we are short of young role models. We are short of young female role models at times who don't get probably the attention they deserve. A young black female role model, even rarer till it's as well in public life. How important is for you to, to, to personally stand up and say, I, I want to set a lead here? It's important to me because when I started playing basketball, I started playing with my boys. Um, I didn't know anything about women's basketball at all. Um, even when I started playing for England under 15s, I didn't know anything about the senior team. Um, so there was just nothing to look up to. There was nothing for me to say, yep, yeah, that's what I want to be like when I'm older. So, um, and I think that's why there's such a big drop in uh, female basketball players at the age of, um, I would say about 17, 18, because there's no role models. So um, it's, it's definitely something that I want to um, help improve on because the more role models, the more players you're probably going to have. Um, and I feel like the younger generation don't even know what it's like to be a, a female professional basketball player. So if we could speak out a little bit more and make them aware of that, then I think the participation of basketball is going to definitely rise. Do you feel in a sense, that I, as I do, that this country, in this country, women's basketball, the successes that we've seen in recent years, and you were part of that Commonwealth Games team that took silver in Gold Coast, but almost got ignored because the netballers got gold. Do you feel, though, that given the prominence and the success that this is one of the things that needs addressing generally is women's sport being put out there much more front and center but also basketball having its opportunity as well because we talk in the very limited terms about men's basketball women's basketball very much off the radar is that is that one of the crucial things that needs to change 100 percent, it definitely needs to change um I think it's kind of hard to pinpoint where we're going wrong. Um, obviously, I'm just a player. I try to focus on um, making an impact on the court. But now being injured, um, I have done a little bit of research to just find out what can I personally do to help bring out basketball in the UK. Um, I think media attention definitely helps. Um, I don't know whether the government just doesn't feel like we could win medals, but then again, we have proved it um, from the Commonwealth Games. So yeah, it's 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 very tricky. I just think maybe our marketing 
tactics could possibly improve um and then the lack of funding i think well that should be number one actually um if we received more funding then i think the sport would definitely excel and could potentially be just as big as netball football and um even cricket i mean as someone who's played in two of the hotbeds of what well, three of the hotbeds really if we include america but you, know, you played in, in, in spain and in france do you do you see something different there because it is a slight battle and it's a very linear way of thinking of it but between netball and basketball to attract young females and netball by its prominence is certainly more front and center than basketball where does what does basketball need to do to, to fight back in this this sort of two-way scrap i actually had a debate about this with someone um their opinion was that it starts with grassroots um if we improve the system of the grassroots then um it will spiral up and my opinion is the opposite i think it starts from the professional level and spirals down so uh, me personally i think if we had a proper professional league where players um received a salary and um they could solely focus on playing basketball rather than having to um work a full-time job and then come to practice after work you know i feel like if that improves then the role you have more role models so kids can come and watch women's basketball um clubs can even create a youth team and then i do you see where i'm getting at here like it spirals down um also bringing in imports as well i think that's very important because even the premiership um you have a lot of foreigners coming to England to play in it. So I think if basketball copies that model, I think it could be a lot more successful because for me, I would love to stay home and play basketball, but because there's no money in the sport, I have to go away to play. And speaking to other basketball players, men and women, everyone has that same opinion. I would love to play at home, but there's no money there. So um, I have to go away and play. I think that import thing sometimes is, is overlooked because I think you know we always have the conversations about bringing the best British players back and we all want that we'd love to see our very top top stars male and female in this country but I remember as a kid the local American uh, you know my local club team would come along and do sessions on a Friday night or I'd watch watch them play on a weekend and actually in a sense while I was inspired by people who were from my area playing I think having that knowledge and almost that exoticism in one extent of, of, of an American player teaching you how to do it. I think that was the thing that excited me about the sport because it just felt, it makes it feel bigger. Mm. Exactly. It does. Yeah. It's, and it's weird because when I go away to play as well, I have, I feel more of like a celebrity almost um, <laughs> walking around the area in the local town and they're like, Oh, you're the basketball player. <laughs> it's, it's really nice and it makes you could see that the community loves the sport and they actually recognize individuals in the sport as well because obviously with being a team sport um you usually just get noticed like as in you play for that team whereas when i go away it's your melita like they know you personally and um i think that's that's what london or england lacks as well just separating the team aspect of it and focus on individuals as well 
what was it like with your your time in you know in Brie first and then in, in Bibri in, in Spain? I mean, you, you, a lot of players talk about just how well they looked after. Was it was that a positive experience in both counts for you? Uh, I'll be honest. Um, at first, I was looked after in terms of housing, money situation. I definitely was looked after. Um, however, coming from America. And then playing in Spain, there's a huge difference. Um, I'm pretty sure that other other players could um, vouch for me on this. Uh, playing in the American system, you've got so much equipment. You've got the game ready. You've got um, just all the tools possible to keep healthy. However, when you come to the professional level, you kind of have to look after yourself. So... Um, you've got to know your body if you need to stretch a little bit more before practice um, you've got to rely on yourself to do that um, if you get injured let's say if you roll an ankle um, the treatment you get is not as good as the American system so for me it was it was a big change but um, I guess it's just like growing up as well you know you've got to take responsibility of yourself so it's like staying with your parents and then being forced to get your own place and learning how to cook pasta exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> and we've all been there um <laughs> with the injury at the moment you haven't played this season and you know i know you've got an injury you need knee surgery and you've been you've been quite vocal on, on social media about the fact you haven't had this surgery yet what's the situation so i played three games for um Barkin Abbey London Lions um, purely the fact that I was just waiting for um, a good team to contact me um, and in training I tore my ACL um, partially tore my meniscus and I bruised my um, MCL and because again this is why I, I feel like it's so important to start up and make sure the professional league is conducted properly because for me um, it's put me in a predicament where I have to rely on the NHS or I have to pay roughly seven grand to go private to have the knee surgery. Um, So I was supposed to have my surgery in April, but due to the coronavirus, um, it got postponed. And I'm still waiting for a call from the NHS to say when my surgery date is. Um, It's a bit tough because... I can't plan ahead. I don't know what's going to happen, when it's going to be. Um, I was at first preparing to play next season, but now um, I'm definitely not going to be back in time for the next season. So essentially now I'm I'm going to miss two years of playing basketball. Um, but I'm staying sane, which is a good thing. <laughs> um, I think working a full-time job, it definitely keeps my mind occupied. And then with the Stop the Violence um, campaign, it also makes me still feel very involved in basketball. Um, So, yeah, I'm just waiting for the surgery now. I can do a lot of stuff. I do a lot of hit classes. Um, I can run. I can jump. So it's nice because I feel normal, but I just know I can't play basketball. So it still stings. It must be frustrating because in in a lot of countries, if you're a top level player if you do your acl which is a severe injury mm. you know you're going to get surgery within a few days all the rehab laid on full program and you're what now eight months later still yeah sitting around still sitting around yeah and um 
I do have a great support system within um, the basketball community in London. So um, I have the opportunity to go to the University of East London, where my old strength and conditioning coach, Duncan, uh, really helped me out. Even the coach at Barking Abbey London Lions, he um, did as much as possible to to help me out too. So again, it's not anyone's fault and I don't blame anyone. However, I do think there's something going on with the NHS. I mean, they're under stress right now, so it's definitely understandable. Um, but I was written down as urgent. So um, I just, yeah, I try to be as vocal about it as possible because if you stay quiet, then nothing's ever going to change. So I'm just going to keep trying to pressure them just to see when's the quickest day I can get. When you talk about work and, and, and stop the violence, keeping you sane, what else has kept you sane? Um, I get being with my family. So because obviously I haven't lived in London since I was 18. So now being able to go to family events is really nice rather than being on FaceTime and everyone's waving <laughs> to you on the call. It's nice <laughs> to actually be there in person. So yeah, I've done a lot of things with my family and my friends as well. Um, I hang out with my school friends a lot as well. And it's, it's really nice because now I don't feel like I'm I'm missing out on anything like how I used to when I was away. Does it in any way diminish the hunger though to get back playing somewhere professionally? Oh yeah, I'm definitely like I'm fired up <laughs> as soon as I, I have the surgery. It's a hundred percent focus on getting healthy and making it back to the court. And I still have, I do set goals. I still have a goal to try to make it to play in the Euro League and the Euro Cup. So, um, yeah, I'm still focused on trying to achieve that. Does that, I mean, that process, because, you know, for ACL, it could be a year with rehab, depending on how it goes and and everything and the surgery, etc. But when you look at the, the career coming back from that with two years out, obviously you're going to have to rebuild your, your resume in a sense, in a sense again. Do you, do you consciously sit down and, and, as you said, what what are that? What's the medium term goal and the long term goal, and how do you come about saying right, your league's that long term? That's where I want to be at. I mean, do you see a step by step, or what's the process you go through to set your goals in life? So now, in terms of basketball, being a professional, I've understood that it's a business. So um, a great way to be a successful business person is to make sure your circle is good and you have the correct. Um, connections so right now for me um, I'm trying to grow my connections and make a positive opinion on myself for other people Um, and I feel like once I am healthy and let's say I'm working out I can record myself um, I can play in scrimmages maybe even play one-on-one against really good players so that um, I can put myself out there for teams to see that I am good and um, even though I've had this setback I can still perform at a high level um, when my name's been called so um, yeah so that's my like medium um, goal and then my short goal short-term goal is just to wake up every day make sure that I work out um, I keep my muscles strong so that as soon as I have the surgery my comeback is quicker than um if I was to sit around and just wait for it um, and yeah and just make sure that when I am back I play to the best of my ability all the time um, 
because you know you know the saying you don't know what you have until you lose it mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of like that for me right now um I kind of not mistreated basketball but um I just I never understood what it would be like not being able to play so um yeah I'm definitely not going to take my next opportunity for granted where did that love for basketball come from initially Oh, um, I think I've always been a sporty person when I was younger. My mum worked in a sport industry as well. She's works for Westminster Council. Um, and my dad always watches um, football, cricket and stuff on the TV as well. So, um, yeah, I had a natural passion for sports. But when I started playing basketball, I don't know, it was something about it. You know, I have a saying, I think the sport chose me because as soon as I started dribbling I'm like yep this is my sport (laughs) I don't want to play football or netball anymore this is what I want to do even though I didn't know where it could take me I still just I love the aggression I love the discipline and I think because I was the only girl playing as well it it kind of gave me a little ego like yeah I'm the best female player here because I'm the only female player here so yeah, I think that's that's where the passion came from. Where did you find your role models in the sport? Um, I when I started playing for Harringay Angels, um, the girl when I was about fourteen, I would say, um, there was an under eighteens team, and I saw them go into America, um, coming back from America as well, and seeing their improvements. Um, so I kind of felt like that was my first role model role models um in the sport and then when when I started researching more about basketball um Diana Tarazi was the main person that would always pop up so I would try to YouTube her and watch her as much as possible um so that I can mimic her game um so yeah I definitely think she was a big um role model for me I mean, being in Chicago, would you have gone when the opportunity presented itself? And obviously the seasons don't overlap with term time, but would you have gone to see the Chicago Sky study WNBA players and you know try and pick up things from there? Yeah, so during our pre-season, um, some of the Chicago Sky players would actually come and play with us. So, and also professionals as well overseas, they would come back to Chicago where they're from and play open gym with us too. So it was nice to to be almost killed by them on the court <laughs> <laughs> because I know, well, this is the level that I need to be at once I graduate from um, university. So um, it was really nice as well during the season, I was able to watch the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Skies play as well. Um, so it almost sparks you up because you know this is where you want to be at so um yeah it was nice having that around me whilst being in america so drop some names who have you scrimmaged with <laughs> um i'm being killed by <laughs> well i feel like i'm embarrassing myself now <laughs> they might listen to this and think yep that was me i did that um but um Let's see. Um, actually, one of our coach, she, um, I believe she did get drafted. 
and then went overseas to play. I feel like I've got a brain freeze now. I can't remember anyone's name. Would Elena, <laughs> Elena Della don't have scrimmage with you guys when she was in no. no, no, she didn't. Unfortunately, no, she didn't. Um, oh my goodness, I can't believe I can't remember everyone's name. You were so awestruck, they just you just couldn't even exactly, figure what exactly. they were. Yes, we've all been there. We've all been there. <laughs> let It'll me, come back to me. <laughs> let me take you back to, to June and uh, a comment you made on Twitter, and in the, I think it's very relevant in, in, in the current climate and the current discussion we're having, is that, you know, you said it's it's so hard being a black woman vent over. Explain that sentiment from your perspective. Um, so my initial reason for putting that comment out was because I feel like a lot of the Black Lives Matter was based around black men. And um, speaking to other people, I kind of mentioned, you know, black women are at the bottom of the status um, scale. Um, so it was kind of like a little reminder, like, hey, black women are here too, you know. So, um, yeah, so at that time I was talking to a lot of just female athletes in general and um, relating it to just being a female athlete, I think it's the it's the not the same, but it's very similar in the respect of female athletes don't get much attention. And it's the same with black women. We don't get much attention either. Um, also, I'm not a person to to really speak out about racism and the whole Black Lives Matter cause because um, I try to make an impact practically rather than vocally. So obviously with my sort of violence, you know, that's my way of trying to make an impact. Um, so yeah, I kept it very short. <laughs> That's why I said bent <laughs> over at the end as well, <laughs> because like meaning I don't want to say anything else. You know, that's just my opinion. But you personally, I, you know, I tend to felt that you have suffered discrimination in that sense, in the same way a lot of people are speaking about now. Yeah, you know, yeah, I have ex had my fair share of racism um, growing up. Um, for me, I. I understand that, you know, my father has played a huge part in that um, in terms of making sure I know where I come from, um, why. So I'm Jamaican and the whole background of Jamaica from the slavery trade. And um, yeah, so he's he's kind of just helps me to understand what's going on in the world and almost how to respond to it. And I believe that when you make it in the world when you become successful then you can always you can always come back to where you come from and make an impact so that's why I'm so big on helping out on with the community because if I don't no one else will so um, yeah that's just my my response to to it all what was his advice or your parents advice generally for you coming through from the generation that, that they did I mean what did you have that advice that so many young young people of colour have had of having to work harder, being told that you will have to be better to succeed? What what was their words of wisdom to you growing up? Um, I think they they more phrased it as it doesn't matter your colour. There's still millions of people trying to do what you're trying to do. So you just got to be smart and be strategic in how you're going to get to the top. So um, in terms of basketball, um, at first I didn't want to go to the practices because I was scared because I was the only female. But uh, my mum always made me go. 
my dad would always wake me up and say, are you not training today? Why are you not training? <laughs> or even now they're like, what's what you eat? So right now we don't eat meat. And it's very nice because they do it with me. So um, yeah, they don't eat meat either. Uh, my mum wakes up and goes running by herself. My dad sometimes will, while I'm working out, he gets inspired and then starts working out too. <laughs> so yeah, they're more practical in the way with, they, with, with how they help me out. So it's amazing. I'm so grateful to have them. It sounds that's very unusual and very positive dynamic, role models for one another. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, they have a great partnership as well. Um, so it's nice to have both my parents together, which is um, sad to say, but unnormal in the in the black community. So yeah, they've basically been great role models for me. How have they viewed the past few weeks? Because it's easy for those of us on a younger generation. I don't know if I can still call myself that. But anyway, those of us who have watched all this and thinking, yes, it's about time. How have they seen that, having sort of been through this a bit longer? Um, so yeah, they said, yep, yeah, it's amazing what we're doing right now. Um, but they don't want it to fizzle out. And I feel like that's what's happened in the past where a black man has died in America. You march for a week and then you don't hear much about it until the next black man dies. So, um, yeah, their opinion is, it's just something that needs to keep going until change happens. And, we need to pinpoint what we want the change to be, not just march, but change laws or um, the way the police conduct themselves. Let's change how they're taught. And yeah, you know, it's just, yeah, that's their opinion, I guess, yeah. Does it make you proud, and that may not be the right word, but, you know, to have kind of been ahead of the curve in this and to have have something in place now that, you can again not maybe the right word but capitalize upon this use it as a as a tool to to take this conversation on to take positive action because you know an initiative like yours in a sense it almost becomes more important and more vital now because it can it can it can lead conversation it can you know, more people can get behind this it's a terrific vehicle for you to, to say if we want to not let this fizzle out i've got this thing for it and can we can we use it even more widely, perhaps. Yeah, definitely. Is um, the Black Lives Matter has helped my Stop the Violence campaign a lot because, um, in terms of receiving funding, now there's bids for my event, so I can go out and get money and make sure that my event is more sustainable um, and helping out more people as well. So, um, yeah, it's it's definitely helped one hundred percent. What's the next stage? Like of, what's the next stage the next for stage? is it is it bigger bigger celebrities bigger venue? What, what have you got in mind for twenty twenty one? Um, I think I want to keep it at the same venue. Um, just because that's where I started playing basketball at Waverly Sports Centre. Um, my aim is just to pack that out until there's no more capacity. And then maybe I'll um think about changing the venue. Um, yeah, get more people to come down. Um bigger celebrities would be great um i did have glenn johnson um say that he would come and play in a celebrity game so that was huge trying to get people like ian wright to come down and play as well um so yeah that's my goal really more police officers as well to come down so that they could um connect with the community so you know 
we see their faces and we understand, oh yeah, I remember you. You was that nice person from the Stop the Violence event. Um, so if they ever get stopped, they feel more comfortable. Um, and also fizzling it down to schools as well. I do try to do a lot of things within schools. So I go out and I speak about my experiences to the school kids. Um, and I did suggest uh, with the Metropolitan Police working with them to um, have like maybe like a workshop at the start of every year so the the students know their rights because I feel like that's they just don't know what to even do when they're stopped by the police they don't know um, what the procedure is so I think there's more negative responses because they're scared and unknowledgeable about the whole situation um, so I think that definitely will will help the police out and just make the do you feel more comfortable with the police? You got this degree in criminology, not absolutely left field in terms of what you're you're doing with that. But what's what's the long term ambition? Because you obviously you've got you've got the initiative, you've got the drive to do all these things. What would you like to do beyond basketball? Uh, well, when I studied at Chicago, um, I did not know what I wanted to study in. <laughs> And I actually just picked criminology because I was like, oh, it looks interesting and I'll just do it so I can pass the course. <laughs> but now I actually understand, wow, like it's it's done a lot for me. Um, at first I did want to be a police officer, but um, I, I, don't, I don't know. I just, I'm very indecisive anyway. So um, next week I could come and say I want to be a rapper. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm, a rapping policeman, yeah, yeah, who know, a policewoman, who knows what could be, yeah, yeah, you can combine those two things. Yeah, exactly. So um, I'm just, I'm the sort of person is when, wherever the wind takes me, really. So anytime an opportunity arises, I kind of try to grab that. So yeah, you never know just what might happen in the future. So um, I'd like to just keep my, my options open. You're doing, you're fortunate enough to have a job at the minute, which a lot of people don't have. And you're the operations manager for London Basketball Association. What, what, explain what does that involve? So um, London Basketball Association started in 2012 um, and the aim of it is to increase participation in basketball across London um, and make the, the community more healthy. So what I do is I manage different departments within that charity and I also do a bit of project management as well. So I create um, different events um, that we can host um, as well as communicating with um, people who get in touch with us um, I also try to do a lot of events for the younger generation so um, right now we're we're putting on a t NBA 2k tournament and involving women I thought it would be a great opportunity for the first one to be um, the WNBA game um, and at the same time with WNBA starting so it connects very well um, it's I'm very lucky, to be honest, to um, to find a job because I don't have much work experience because I've been playing basketball all my life. Um, so yeah, it's been great because I can I can still be involved in basketball even though I can't physically play. But I guess like a lot of people in your position, you're sitting watching the or listening to the daily briefings or the latest updates, going, "Can we go ahead with any of this? And when can we start going ahead with any of this?" we've got to take it as a blessing as well um so for me right now not being able to play i i'm trying to improve my basketball iq 
So it's something that you can do where you don't have to physically play. Um, even just watching players as well. Like if you've got the internet, you can easily do a lot of research on players or tactics. So I think people should use this time to just improve their mindset because basketball is 80% mental and 20% physical. So let's try to improve on that aspect. And then when the courts are open, then we can get back to physical. But again, you know, like what I do, hit classes in the morning, you can do that in your house if you have a garden or even just outside um, your front door, like you can still stay fit. If there's not, there's always Joe Wicks. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> you can use anything, literally. <laughs> <laughs> well, Melita, it's been great hearing about your initiative. It's a terrific um, thing that you've embarked upon with that. We hopefully... Uh, Stop the game will be back on next summer, bigger and badder than ever before, but very best of all. Hopefully you get your surgery, Finn. And um, good luck with that rehab when it comes. And thanks for joining us in the MVP cast. Thank you. Thank you again for having me. Thank you. That's it for this edition of the MVP cast brought to you with our sponsors at Total Environmental Compliance. Give them a follow on social media at TE Compliance Limited. And you can get all our previous editions at MVP247.com or subscribe by your preferred podcast provider. Please, if you've got a chance, leave us a review, preferably a nice one. Or if you want to get in touch, reach out to me via Twitter at Mark Britpool. Another edition of the MVP cast coming very, very soon. But from you, Mark Woods, it's bye for now.